That's that's bad. That is that is so wrong. Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places to dive and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 402 is recorded live April 18th, 2019. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan, where I do see grass growing and flowers blooming. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well, and uh, I think it was in the 60s today. It was very nice. Oh, that was beautiful. It was, a, it was a little bit nippy in the morning, but overnight last night, wow, that was amazing. I, wanna, I, I let the dogs out. And- it's it's almost the weather I wish it would stay all year round. Well, I, I went it. to the airport board this morning at uh, 9 o'clock, and as I left Stevensville to go into St. Joe, there was a wall of clouds that the visibility <laughs> yeah. from went from a, a maybe a quarter mile to 300 feet. Yes. All the yeah, way I, to the airport. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about because uh, my office – is frequently at the edge of that cloud of fog. My my office is approximately, I'd say, 3,000, 4,000 feet off of Lake Michigan. So we get that that wall of fog. And, it, and it's it's bizarre because you could be on one side of it and it's toasty and you get in that fog and it, it's uh, quite cold. What's it's worse, though, is that if you are departing the airport and as oh. you depart, you look behind you, and the airport's disappearing. <laughs> I've well, done that make, one make, time. Make, make sure you've got plenty of fuel and pick another airport to go to. Well, it, it, it's, a, it's a phenomena of coastline. It usually doesn't exist, but a couple of miles inland that you'll have that delta between the current warm air and the water of the lake, and you'll get a different kind of fog, and it'll just roll right over. But you get a couple of miles inland, you know, my reserve, of course, I'll always go to Andrews. But it is sort of funny, though. You take off and you look, and that's like, damn, where'd that come from? Yeah, what happened? <laughs> yeah. Um, have you been out in the lake in a boat when that's happened? No, I have not. Yeah, I, I haven't either. I mean, I've seen I've seen it where we've where the visibility isn't great, but not that fog bank like we, we get on land. I think we're smart enough to stay off the water. Uh, I would hope I would be. Yeah. And and it seems to be this time of year. I think by the time we're really getting out in the lake all that often, uh, it takes kind of an unusual front to get that fog bank to come. Yeah, I've never noticed it uh, uh, summer months. But this was unusual, too, because this is a little later in the year than I would have expected to see that. You could well, get like lost out everybody there. Who, what's that? I said, you could get lost out there. You're on the big lake at this time. Yeah, you could you could easily get lost. I'd like to thank everybody who's in the chat room tonight. We have the old diehards. We have Eric and Derek out there. Uh, appreciate everybody who's listening to the program and downloading it. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. This first article is actually one that's from Red Bull. 
Uh, no, they're not a sponsor. I don't know if I really want them a sponsor other than the money. I'm, I don't really drink Red Bull. Uh, it says uh, the article is the uh, amazing underwater places make you want to go diving right now, which it, it doesn't take much because I'm, I'm ready to go diving right now. Uh, it says if you've tried reefs and tropical fish, you want more adrenaline-fueled underwater adventure, take a look at these nine extreme dive sites where you can take things up to another level. So let's take a look. The first one they have is the Temple of Doom, Cenote Calavera, Tullum, Mexico, Cenote Sinkhole. Underground Labyrinth is one of the most challenging of Mexico's famous Cenote Sinkhole sites taking divers through a disoriented maze of limestone tunnels, ledges, and caverns. A rickety pipe leads through a seven-meter hole in the multi-level cave system with a mixture of salt and fresh water. It's lit by beams of sunlight through three openings, but get out of the sunlight, it's easy to get lost. And I got some great photos and uh, videos in this, so you'll want to click on over the from the show notes and take a peek at this. Do you notice right where the sunlight is coming down that everything in that beam of sunlight is trash? Is it trash? Take a look. It looks like a, a door with a yeah, it does. hinge on it. Up above it to the right is another piece of metal. Huh. Yeah, you're right. That is. Uh... I, I remember doing some caving in Alabama back in, back in the day. And on one, you'd have to rappel down the side of a cliff on a steep angle and for the first hundred feet once you entered the entrance which was pretty large that is where people dumped everything off the side of the cliff and it would go into that hole and that's what that reminds me of yeah to get through the the rust and the and the other entrapments to get to the cave part yeah what do they uh now no big deal just it's out of sight out of mind isn't it well, that's the whole deal, and you are right, though. The pictures and the uh, video are absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, beautiful water. And that's one of those that uh, places I had visited before I was a scuba diver and need to find a way to get down there again now. Uh, well, I like I'm, that line. Generally, when you see those cave lines, they're small, like a real line, R-E-E-L mm-hmm. line. On this one here, I like it because it looks large and yellow, and I can see it. Yeah. Well, you know what's going on is that they put something really beefy because you're taking newbies and all sorts of stuff in some of these caves. So, Yeah, I just wonder how the entry is. If it's a drop-down, so you need a ladder or a hoist to get back out when they have some of these sinkholes? Well, they said it was a, a rickety pipe ladder. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, and some of these will do a uh, – because it's aimed, I'm sure a lot of it's aimed for tourism – and they'll have you. You come in one spot, and then you'll come out another. I want a lift. Thank you. Yeah. And then the next dive site they have is uh, Dipolder Two. It's from Brooksfield, Florida. Cave system may look like a normal pond from the surface, but beneath the water drops down to 110 meters into Dipole Two and Three Cave System, Continental America's deepest cave. Discovered in 1978, it entered through a 60-meter-long vertical tunnel that goes directly down a 30-meter-high cavern with incredible incredible pinnacles of rocks rising up six meters from the cavern floor. That is also a wonderful picture, but I, you know, 
just knowing. I don't see any lines there either, do you? No. Oh, off to the right, second diver in the back. I see a line there. But if his light goes out, you're not going to find that line. No, no. Yeah, that, that one, that, that just screams dark, doesn't it? I would prefer dry in this case. <laughs> yeah. yeah it looks they, like they're rebreathers too. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's definitely uh, some technical diving going on there. And then you have the blue hole in uh, Egypt. Was it Dahab? Yeah. Uh, it's an ocean tunnel. The underwater tunnel featured in Luke Besson's 1988 film, The Big Blue, goes down 120 meters, has a reputation of one of the world's most dangerous dive sites because of the risk of nitrogen narcosis disorientation. Handled with care, however, it rewards expert divers who reach its famous underwater arch 56 meters below the surface with an adventure through a 26-meter-long tunnel out to a giant opening into the Red Sea. And that's one I've, I've heard of quite a bit. Yeah. And it, lo- and it looks innocent enough in the, in the photo from above. Yeah, but when they, when they say in, in letters, you know, dangerous dive site, they mean it. Yeah. Yeah. And then number four is the shaft, Mount Gambier, Australia, the cave system. This giant cave system is entered through a tiny manhole in the middle of a field. It leads down a narrow eight-meter-long shaft to a water-filled cave from which two tunnels, one at each end, descend to a depth of fifty of 85 to 120 meters. Gear must be lowered down to divers through the shaft because it's too tight to fit wearing it. The site is carefully controlled by Cave Divers Association of Australia, which divers now restricted to 40 meters. Wow, look at that ladder hanging down in that photo. I would have trouble doing the ladder, much less with gear. Well, and then I'm imagining you've got to come up through that ladder again. Uh, looks that way, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I, you know, the, the stairs at Gilboa are enough for me. I can't imagine that that ladder. I can't either. I, I, it's, it's interesting. You don't have a good perspective of the water depth until you look to the back of the cave where you see the person with the light. Yeah. I, I'm still trying to figure out what the lines are going from the side to the cliff. I don't know. Because um, they even got something tied off in the ladder. So I imagine, and they're lowering down the gear. Maybe that's a way that uh, they can get the gear over to a spot where you can put it on. Or drop liners. One line looks like it goes down through the water, and then the visibility is pretty decent. And you can see how far it's extending down. Yeah. Interesting, but... I think you're going to have to be in better shape than you and I are for that one. Yeah. Well, I'm a little surprised they don't have some sort of platform down there if it's, unless they're trying to just keep it really. uh, Pristine. Pristine or unimproved. Because that's what I would want. You know, by the time you huff and puff down there and you got your your gear down, it would be nice to have something to perch on to, to uh, get your gear set up. Yeah. It says the shaft is full of very dark. And winding caves and caution is advised. Duh. <laughs> yeah, the, the manhole cover. And then we have the, what was that, some Mason Hole. Sam, Sam uh, Sami Sand Islands, Thailand, open ocean. Not for the faint of heart, this spot in the Gulf of Thailand drops 85 meters down into a former military dumping ground. The seabed is lay, littered with unexploded bombs. 
It requires experienced high-tech equipment to reach the greatest steps where sunlight rarely penetrates. Unless done at slack time, divers can drift miles from the starting point into a busy area for tanker traffic. Makes you wonder what that picture is, though, under it. Yeah, I I think it's not quite dangerous enough. We we need something else, like, you know, some biological waste, just, you know, just to put an edge on it. Well, it looks like they sunk our ship there, or a barge. Yeah, so the when they say, yeah, yeah. when they say, uh, what? This says the hard, hard deep shipwreck from World War II is what that photo is of. Yeah, I don't know why they call it a hole, though, because that's got to be a shipwreck, yeah. It just says open ocean. So maybe it was just a, a deeper spot in the ocean. You know, they called yeah. it a hole. And then you have Eagle's Nest, Weechi Florida cave system, known as one of the Mount Everest of cave diving with cavernous chambers and crystal clear waters. Yet from the surface, it looks like nothing more than a scum-covered pond. Now, usually scum-covered pond is not what you put in the literature. The cave system yeah. reaches depths of 90 meters begins with a narrow chimney-like descent into the main ballroom, which leads onto long tunnels and narrow passageways snaking further underground. Nice photos, and you can couple, oh, you can see a couple of lines behind that second diver to the right, and then the guy in the front uh, has a reel that he is spinning out. But his hoses sure look big, don't they, on that rebreather? Yeah, they, they look rather large. Like they're uh, insulated, it looks like. It, it, that's what I was thinking. It does kind of have that insulation look. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Maybe just the angle, but it, it, it looks a little bit larger than normal. Yeah. Uh, let me see. There's some other photos there. Yeah, there's another one showing them. If you go to the right, there's that. Uh, He's got the DPV. Up. He's Did on he? a toe sub. Yeah, that's a toe sub. Okay. I don't know if I'd keep my hands on the fan blade housing, though. <laughs> yeah, maybe he's just posing for the pitcher. Is that yeah. The right? Yeah, because the, the blades yeah. are not moving. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, you could, now, unless you need to trim your fingernails, I don't think that's advisable. And yeah, then number seven. A, is, did you look at ahead. the video? No, I. Uh, my internet's not quite good enough for that. Um, I'm doing that real quick, and you're correct. It's got a staging platform down. Uh, you can see the scum and stuff around the edges of it. It's really sort of pretty looking, even with the scum. And then the video is really decent, but it shows you that if you don't have lights, you ain't seeing nothing. It's like a spotlight, and you're, and the guy in front is in that spotlight cone, and everything mm -hmm. else is black. Wow. Yeah, I've, I've been in some of those uh, caverns down there where they've they, uh, caught like a duckweed fills the top and you drop down and it, it's, it's a little darker than if it wasn't there. And then when you, when you come up and out, you're, you got salad for lunch. I like the guy's fins. He has messages on his fins for the guy behind him. <laughs> Put me back in the water. Is that what it says? Uh, or get me out. One or the other. Get me out. And they got, and... I'm looking, I'm halfway through one of the videos and either they got stage bottles at different places this one guy just went by a whole maze of bottles, so unless they're staging something for another penetration. The video is nice, so we, if, is that available for them to take a look at? Yeah. Yeah, yeah they, they should do that. They'll enjoy that one. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've heard of this one, so that's, uh, yeah, that's 
it must be fairly famous if I've heard of it and it's talking about cave diving. And then this next one's from Hawaii, Kona, Big Island, the Pelagic Magic, I think is what they're calling it. This night dive is perhaps the most freaky, more freaky than extreme with divers connected to the underside of a boat suspended in pitch black water over a deep channel that ascends hundreds of meters. The reason for doing it, however, a spectacular dark, deep ocean bioluminescent creatures rise to the surface, creating a truly unique psychedelic show of color with strange beings coming at you from all sides. If you did go, if they need to go to this one, because there's a video attached to it Mm -hmm. and uh, the video is very, very good. A little square, a little scary though. When you look at some of these critters that are all around you, but it's definitely worth a look at that one called magic summer highlights. I don't know if I'd want to be swimming in, I mean, there's a lot of things <laughs> that go bump in the night. Uh, how many have teeth? I, well, I can't tell. They almost look like aliens. Did you okay. see the movie The Abyss? Oh, certainly. Yeah, that's required. And you remember that, that, the creature they had there? Some yeah. of these look like that. Ah, uh-huh. uh, that's the, the still photo I have in here. and It looks like that. They've got uh, a jelly with uh, some sort of shrimp. They've got right. like ribbon fish. I mean, it's the video itself is this one. Absolutely. And then, and then the next one on their list, number eight was Chuck Lagoon, uh, Carolyn Islands, Micronesia. It's a wreck site uh, buried beneath the water. This remote region, of the Central Pacific, is the remains of Japanese naval base and all the boats and planes that went with it, including a well-preserved San is it San Francisco Maru. Uh, discovered in 1969 by Jacques Cousteau, the 117-meter-long cargo ship sits on the seabed 63 meters down with its deck around 50 meters from the surface, and its hold contains mines, torpedoes, three tanks, and several old trucks. And then number uh-huh. nine is Peterman Island, Lemire Channel, Antarctica, ocean, uh, open ocean. One of their most dive spots on the planet, this island has 10 locations where you can swim amongst incredible underwater ice sculptures, encounter Gentoo penguins, leopard seals, and even whales. It's only accessible on organized trips and takes a brave person to get in the water. Divers must wear heated suits and masks and have cold water certification. Even then, 30 minutes turns them into ice blocks. If you're doing ice dives, what makes this colder? Well, one, salt water like that is colder than our water. And it's colder than it salt water, yes. Yeah. Um, I was looking at some of the activities here. The Antarctic Base Camp, that one, it's $7,950. No bargain. Explorer Voyage is 10700 During this voyage, we will attempt landings that have rarely if ever been offered by an ocean-wide expedition. Flexibility is key during these thrilling expeditions. Uh, So some of the sidebar pictures are really, really interesting. But, uh, yeah, nothing is free. No. But I don't think you're ever going to find scenery like this anywhere else. No, but that's that's what happens if you're a, uh, you know, you, you sell your new business to Google or Apple or Facebook, and you go, great, I get to go diving. So then you go and you knock out each of these on your list, and that's a good start. Yeah, yeah. 
And the next article you have is ancient Greek shipwrecks are now open for scuba diving. A new frontier is opening Greece for archaeology lovers under the sea. There are dozens and dozens of ancient submerged shipwrecks along the Greece, Greek coast, generally accessible to archaeologists, but not the public. That all changes the opening of the, oh, here we go, uh, Peristera shipwreck near uh, an Greece, island. Greece. An island uh, in, the, in the Aegean. Ah, <laughs> the wreck that try. remains of the cargo vessel that sank in the 5th century B.C. while carrying pottery and possibly wine is one of four sites that the European Commission program has cleared for recreational divers. Well, hallelujah. Are, isn't it great to be in Europe and have somebody tell you what you can and can't do? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that just gets me so excited. So Greece you used to be able to say, tell somebody that. But no, now you have the European Commission to tell you what to do. Ah, beautiful. Dives are being limited for a select few spots, meaning money. Scuba divers was mostly banned through Greece for years out of fear divers destroying priceless historical sites. These photos from April 7th shows one of the first excursions to the wreck and the underwater bounty that was largely out of public sight for millennia. And they've got a bunch of photos, photograph of 3,500 amphoras, a, clay, a type of clay jar lying in the seabed near 5th century B.C. shipwreck. 3,500. That looks like that's a lot. Is that, that was one ship would hold 3,500? I'm looking at the other pictures and the whole bottom, you can't see the bottom for the porcelain and the bottles and stuff. And it's like one of a kind. I'm not quite sure that's correct. I can see where the temptation would be is to oh, uh, yeah. touch and or pick up. Well, then you'd have people want to move them around to see what was underneath or near them. So yep. uh, certainly a very tempting sight. And I imagine that part of the program is it's not just that you get to go on there, but you probably have to go on with certified uh, charter organizations. Yeah, that, that first part where you went through. Uh, if you click on it, it takes you to a different set of photos you can't see mm -hmm. that uh, talks about a lot of the items as you look at the photo, like that one mm -hmm. to look at. Yeah, they got a lot of these uh, jars are tagged. Yeah, obviously they've been down there, looked at, counted, and what have you. Yeah. Well, they say that uh, this is one of four that's open in Greece. And they plan to expand uh, the program into Italy and Croatia. Hey, I was looking at another section of pictures, and all of these bottles are uh, like bottles. They're not those urns and stuff. These are 300 feet below. Collection of vintage wines at 100 meters. And when I say collection, I'm talking hundreds. And these bottles yeah. appear to be intact, but... Licking at the necks, uh, they seem to be minus corks. Yeah. So this is the one uh, the from Corn Cornwall Live? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, this is the one from off the Cornish coast. Is this the one they were talking about? Uh, could be worth millions of dollars if the wine was good? Remember we talked about that a couple of weeks ago? I, I can't remember if this is the same one or not. But looking at that, I don't see that there's there's any wine. It is believed that many of the bottles are intact and indeed drinkable. I guess, possibly. Huh. Well, they're deep enough here. There says once the location was revealed, initial dive, 
gives you 12 minutes of airtime to find out exactly what lays under the water. The dive, which yeah. covers only a fraction of the vessel, seemingly revealed that in the records there are hundreds and hundreds of intact bottles of vintage alcohol, including champagne, wine, and brandy. Sounds like that same one we're talking about. Yeah, it may have been. Yeah, because they said wine experts believe that due to the environmental conditions, keeping the cargo away from natural light, cool temperatures have kept the wine drinkable for its return to the surface. And that's where, because it's so deep, they talked about the next stage of the expedition. We'll see advanced submarines and ROVs sent down to complete a survey of the area and recover bottles. In that picture, is that a shoe mixed in with the bottles? Uh, or, not no, sure no, no, it's not a shoe. It's just the, the angle of it. I thought it was a shoe, but it's just two bottles real close to each other. Okay. Yeah, that's in, it's interesting. Oh, yeah. Like you said, you got the money. You can go a lot of different places. Yeah, that'd be a fun spot to go to, too. That would be really interesting to see it if you had a submersible, though, so you could spend some time. Oh, yeah. And then a 829-year-old Viking-style shipwreck reveals its secrets. A wreck of the 12th century Viking-style ship discovered in a German port is revealing its secrets thanks to high-tech 3D scanning technology. The shipwreck was found in just 10 feet of water when workers were extending the Baltic Sea port of Wismar. Thanks to seawater and harbor silt, the ship's timbers are perfectly preserved, according to archaeologists, measuring almost 80 Feet by 13 feet, the ship's remains have been dated to about 1188. Experts used 3D scanning technology to reveal that the open deck ship was constructed entirely with axes and ases. Uh, analysts of the ship timbers reveal that they were from western Sweden. Maritime archaeologist Dr. Jen Auer, uh, who led the project, described the ship as a descendant of Viking vessels. It is heavy, load-bearing cargo ship of Nordic design, built with great care and durability with overlapping pine planks, clinker style with beautiful carved construction made during the relatively peaceful period of time, he explained in his statement. The ship likely carried cargo such as timber, stone, and even beer. Experts estimate the ship had a crew of 8 to 10 or 8 to 12 men. The Wismar wreck is of great importance because it tells us about the type of vessels that were crossing the sea in Northern Europe during the high medieval period. Uh, this is a marine archaeologist from the Stavanger Mar Maritime Museum, Mesomolino Dida, which I'm sure is not even close. Historically, we were in a period of transition and shift to economic power. This is reflected in construction of the ship, and due to its incredible state of preservation, is a treasure trove of information not otherwise accessible. And then the article, they show a, a drawing, which is quite well done. I'm looking at it to see how it compares to something like the Havana. Uh, it's missing that center keel that uh, you know newer wrecks, at least in the Great Lakes, had. I always love it how everything's a treasure trove of information. Yeah, they they always say that. After lifting the wreck out of the Baltic waters, experts used Arctic handheld 3D scanning technology to scan the timbers at a warehouse in the German city of Schwerwin. The scanning process took one, one month with the scans being used to create 3D printed small scale model of the ship. <coughs> Dad, who oversaw the 3D scanning the wrecks of the ship, offers a glimpse into Baltic trade before towns of the regions formed a powerful trading group known as the 
Hanseatic League. So they're, they, they took that out of the water, this vessel, and scanned it? Yeah. Oh. Like I said, timbers, timbers are being stored in a conservation facility, driven, according to the researchers. Yeah, hopefully they know what they're doing. They don't that. I just picture you pull it out of the water, and within a within a month, if you're not preserving it, it's just going to go crazy and fall apart. Did you see the part continuing after that? Viking era no. discoverers have drilled archaeologists across Scandinavia and the Baltic in recent years. Incredible Swedish grave containing the skeleton of a Viking warrior. Long thought to be male was recently confirmed as female. Last year, a Viking uh-huh. Thor hammer was discovered in Iceland. Thor lost his hammer. Oh my goodness! And archaeologists in Norway used ground penetrating radar to reveal an extremely rare Viking longship. I, I had read something like uh, about that, where they had said they had found a Viking longship. Well, also in 2018, eight year old girl discovered a 1,500-year-old sword in a Swedish lake and an incredible treasure trove of silver linked to the era of a famous Viking king. Uh, hundreds of thousand-year-old silver coins, rings, pearls, and bracelets were found on the German island of Rogan. Yeah, uh, I remember that. Old girl. We, we covered that, that eight-year-old girl. And did how, you see the um, Viking? Did you see the Viking sword? The the images didn't come through in my copy, but I oh. I had seen it before, and uh, it seemed like we covered this article. And the father was trying to explain to the daughter why every time they go to the water, they're not going to be able to find a sword. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole a bunch of uh, conversation items over two hundred at the end of that article, and it said uh, one of them talked about. The Viking warrior that is a female was doubtlessly a queen or female political leader, ceremoniously honored like a warrior at her funeral. There are no records of actual warriors anywhere on earth that were female, just some leaders honored that way and some examples of ornamental female armed guards that a ruler liked to look at. Notably, this Viking warrior had no signs of injuries and or bone scars from tough weapons practice that virtually all real warriors would have had on their bones. Quite interesting. Mm-hmm. They're even talking about oh, medieval warming period in 950 A.D. Yeah, some of the some of the article uh, items are quite interesting and entertaining. Yeah, yeah. I I don't remember 950 A.D. So, well, back, that was back when the flat earthers and because of the warming trend back then, they were telling people they're going to have to search higher ground because the water was rising. Uh-huh. I'm always curious if it's flat. How come it just doesn't roll off the flat end part? Seems like the water would stay at one level or drain out. Yeah. Or just fall off the edge. Yeah. And then, then here's an article that you had uh, provided. Four-legged whale fossil found along the coast of Peru. Fossil remains of a four-legged whale with hooves suggest the whale could walk on land with a robust tail and webbed fingers that might have propelled itself through the water like an otter. Researchers reported the discovery of fossil remains of the new species of ancient four-legged whale. 
found in 42.6 million year old marine sediments along the coast of Peru. The findings were published in the journal Current Biology on April 4th, 2019. The researchers say the presence of small hooves at the tip of the whale's fingers and toes, plus the structure of its hips and limbs, suggests that this whale could walk on land. The other hand, they say anatomical features of the tail and feet, including long, likely webbed appendages similar to an otter, indicate it was a good swimmer too. Uh, Oliver Lambert of the Royal Belgian Institute of Natural Science is a study lead author. He said in a statement, this is the first indisputable record of a quadrupedal whale skeleton, the whole Pacific Ocean, probably the oldest of the Americas, most complete outside India and Pakistan. You might think of whales as the ultimate ocean dweller, although that might be true today. Uh, uh, whales, dolphins, and portises originated more than 50 million years ago from small four-legged hoof ancestor that lived on land. Who'd have thunk? Yeah. Looks like uh, if those teeth are accurate, uh, you it's like the mammal version of a crocodile. I continued on down, and it's got a picture. A furry ancestor of modern whales is what they're showing. It looks like a funny-looking rat. <laughs> it does. Kind yeah. of walking on its toes. Yeah, yeah. And matter of fact, if you look at the rear, doesn't that look like high heels? It does. <laughs> a high-heeled rat. Oh, my goodness. Let's see. How big was that split? It really wasn't that big, though. It said 13 feet long. Yeah, pretty decent. A good starting point. Wow. You figured megalodons were bigger than that guy. Megalodons yeah. would eat that guy with no trouble whatsoever. That's why there are none left. Yep. Guys or megalodons? Megalodons ate those first. Oh, <laughs> They ate him up and then starved. Well, that does it for Scuba in the News. Uh, kind of a quick week of things. Um, well, Craig is still on, so that's always a positive. Yeah, yeah, we haven't lost Craig yet. Um, yeah, I miss the actual dive club meeting. Had anybody been diving? Had they been talking about it? Uh, trying to remember who has been out. I know Bob has been trying to get out in the big lake, and it seems like he's been blown off just about every time. Right. I think this week they were talking about trying to get out to Gull Lake and trying to have access mm -hmm. to the standard entry to go to as opposed to the docking entry. So yeah, they'll they probably get out there. But they've been diving basically every week, yeah. only they can't get out. They want to do a shipwreck. And uh, so far we've not been able to get out there. Yeah. You just have the springs where it goes that way. You'll have a spring where it's nice just about every weekend, and this looks to be one of those, and at least here in the early season, where you're going to get blown off. If you'd have been out there the day, you're, and if you didn't have GPS, you weren't coming, right? <laughs> yeah, you were. You, you just might have to bite, uh, bump around a while till you, you see the big buildings in Chicago. And the river, uh, we, with the rain going on, I don't think... Forget, uh, forget the river. It is it is rapid and dark again. Uh, if you check, you check any of the tributaries, streams, and creeks that are feeding it, they're all swollen and totally brown. You put your hand in it, you can't see your hand. Which is puzzling because we haven't had... I mean, we've had summering, I guess, but 
it doesn't seem like we should have enough where we have this this sort of, sort of conditions well, already. What do what three days ago we had rain, sleet, snow, accumulation, all that melted. Yeah, that's true. It ran off. Uh, it's rained today. Yeah. So it's yeah we could do a little bit of a drought. Yeah, maybe not a full drought, but just a little little dry spell wouldn't hurt. A little cessation, yeah. yeah. Enough. I need to go out and mow my lawn already. My neighbors yeah, mowed I, it twice. Yeah, I, I mowed mine about a week and a half ago, and then uh, had a pulley break. So, uh, I ordered parts, and those will probably be here any day. So, I, I've I've got a break until they come in, or until robotics kicks in, which we have a world championship coming up here in a next week which reminds me that we will not be recording next week so the we 25th we're not going to be on all yes. right i'm knocking that up does that yeah. mean you're not going to be there for the discover scuba on the 27th no i i will be in detroit michigan at the world championships where is that going to be in detroit it's going to be uh, part of it's at cobalt hall and part of it's at ford field so okay. if we the uh, they have an opening ceremony at Ford Field, and then uh, there's like 460 some teams wow. that will be there, divided into six different divisions or fields. And then the winners of each of those fields will play off on a field they call the Einstein Field. And then the top two of those that round robin of six alliances will then compete at Ford Field, and that will be Saturday evening. Um, we got to do that two years ago. We made it to the to the round robin. Is that make field, the finals? Is, is Ford Field covered over for that? Yes, it's covered over. Okay, because uh, that's—I mean—that's we were up there for my uh, nephew's uh, state championship. Yeah, with the, for the that's football. a big place. Yeah, it's it's a good sized stadium. Yeah, well, the robotics will use about half of it. Um. Uh, which is which is pretty decent when you think about. It. So what's that put it about forty fifty thousand people? 30, yeah, forty thousand. Yeah. So there's a uh, quite a few there at the Ford Field. But then the Cobalt Halls where all the qualification matches and everything will be going on, and that'll all be streamed uh, live on Twitch. Uh, the we, the Michigan State Championship was actually on ESPN. So if you want to see what we were talking about, you can uh, download the ESPN app or visit the ESPN three website. And uh, just do search for uh, First Robotics Michigan, and you can see the uh, competitions. What we're talking about? Yeah, we didn't we didn't quite make it. We we lost in the uh, quarterfinals of our field, unlike last year where we won the field at state. <laughs> but uh, we're hopeful. We're, we're you know we, it's you know there's a little bit of luck, a little bit of randomness, and then you have to have everything there to do it. And the robot can do it, and the students are getting practice and up to speed and hopefully they can pull it off. And honestly, I'm tired. I'm, I'm ready for a break. Well, you, you guys have been pretty active in that. That's for sure. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I was, I had a doctor's appointment today and he was, they were talking about different things and you know, this looks good and that looks bad. And, and he's saying, well, how much sleep are you getting a night? And I said, oh, I'm getting about five or six hours. He's like, Oh, that's not good. And I, I just, I'm not, I'm not home early enough. I mean, this is, this, tonight's my early night. <laughs> I actually get more, more sleep tonight than I will any other night. Oh boy. So, uh, but, uh, so they're planning on doing uh, Gull Lake then. Oh, 
Let's see. You got anything? Uh, do, you, do you have a safety story of the week? Uh, actually, I have an interesting one. It's, yeah. it's called uh, Explore All Possibilities, and I'll go through that. Symptoms do not always point to one definite cause or definitive cause, so it's often just as important to continue listening to the patient, exploring options that might not be immediately apparent. The diver. The diver, 32-year-old male, was an experienced recreational dive instructor. Approximately 18 months prior to the dive incident, he was injured in an all-terrain vehicle accident, suffering serious injuries to his face and skull. He required multiple surgeries to repair or reconstruct the orb of his eye, both arches of his cheekbones, his upper jaw, and some of the fractures entered his maxillary sinus cavity. The diver's surgeon authorized him to return to diving after a prolonged recovery. He gradually resumed diving with no problems or complications. Dive. The diver was instructing the class of four students on their second day of open water dives. Dive was planned with a beach entry with a brief surface swim to an area with a maximum depth of 30 feet, accompanied by a certified dive master and experienced rescue. When the group began to descend, the instructor immediately experienced intense pain on the left side of his face from cheekbone to his forehead. Pain progressed from distracting to incapacitating. The dive master recognized that the instructor was having a serious problem and safely ascended with the students to about 15 feet. Take that back from 15. Rescue diver then descended to assist the instructor, finding him on the bottom, holding the left side of his face with one hand and securing the regulator in his mouth with the other. Rescue diver was able to assist the instructor in making a controlled ascent to the surface. They established positive buoyancy and reached the shore. Pain was so severe, the dive master called 911 waited for emergency medical services to arrive. They did so, uh, performed a quick assessment, transported the instructor to the closest emergency department, and which coincidentally was the hospital where he'd been treated for his previous injuries. Medical evaluation. The staff administered pain relief medication. Attending physician examined the diver, sent him CT scans of his head and face. Consulting the scans, Everything looked great. There was no obvious signs of complications associated with surgeries, sinuses, orbs, bones. Everything was healed. No hardware had been displaced. No clear cause of the intense pain. Doctor prescribed medication, scheduled a follow-up so he could see a different surgeon. Next day, the diver called Dan and told the staff about his experience because the most likely cause of his symptom was a complication from his previous. Uh, he asked for a referral to an ENT, uh, ear, nose, and throat doctor, with dive experience. Fortunately for him, there was one local. The specialist also suspected a complication of the guy's injuries previously. But after reviewing, looking at, again, diagrams and, and CT, could not come up with any reason for the pain. Now, 10 days after the dive, his pain still persisted. was only relieved by medication. Despite the pain, the diver kept a scheduled appointment with his dentist for an unrelated issue. During the exam, the dentist was able to localize the pain in the upper bicuspid, 
the tooth between the canine and the molar. After taking x-rays, dentists determined that the root of the tooth had an abscess and the tooth was cracked. It is oh. likely during equalization, the diver unintentionally forced air or some other material into the tooth, which prompted pain associated with the exposed nerve. Dennis extracted the tooth. He had a lot of yucky drainage from the socket, which was a sign of infection. The pain subsided as soon as the fluid drained. By evening, the diver no longer needed to take pain medication, only an antibiotic to address the infection. The conclusion was, this is a case of, or an example of how easily prior medical history can become a focal point. A focal point of severe injury certainly warrants an, you know, an evaluation of the previously affected areas, but the focus should not happen at the exclusion of other possibilities. The doctors, specialists, and Dan all lost all objectivity to the physical discomfort of the patient. Fortunately, his situation was not life-threatening, though he required pain medication longer than he would have with a more thorough evaluation. It is imperative to try to avoid opiate use for any longer than necessary. It said, every misstep is a teachable moment. All of us in Dan Medical Service learned from this case to remain diligent in our evaluations and avoid tunnel vision. That's pretty interesting. That is. And that and that's exactly true. You have to and, and it sounds like he did the right steps of, you know, contacting Dan and seeking uh second opinions to find out. Yeah, and he didn't stop. You yeah. know, he didn't take one you know, if you've got pain, you keep checking it out. Very good. I like that one. Just reminds you that uh it's worth keeping that Dan membership going too. Oh yeah. Well, you you're 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 always seeing though a lot of examples. I mean, fortunately, infrequently, where somebody had a bad event away from everywhere, and it cost you a hundred thousand dollars to get transport to some place that could really give you good treatment. So yeah, you Dan want to make is, sure that that you're you're going to be able to get to a place that can help you. Oh yeah. And that's not inexpensive in many cases. But I like the part where Dan also admitted that they had tunnel vision. Yeah. Well, well let's see. Know, this, was, this was about one hour then, wasn't it, today? Yeah, we, we about nailed one hour. Yeah, geez. Man, it's uh, getting, getting good at making this quick. I don't know if that's a good thing or we just run out of stuff to talk about. Hopefully oh, no, we, we get in the water here that. pretty soon. Yeah, we, we get in the water here pretty soon. We'll have some more. Well, I hope to be back. I'll, I will be in the water on the 27th, and I expect to be diving. Excellent. That, that'll be a good warm-up. I wish I could get there, but uh, I won't be able to do that. Well, I'm looking forward to it because I want to get out my wetsuit, see if it still fits. <laughs> well, it's shrinking. Well, I, I feel pretty confident my stuff will because I think I've lost weight since uh, – my last dive. In fact, I know I have. So, well, I have lost weight, so I know mine will fit for sure. Yeah, uh, I'll have that fun uh, early season because my last one was in the river, quite a ripping current. So, it's always a challenge to to take enough weight off, but not too much. So, I just want to get back in the river. I am. I so miss that. Yeah, but I'll probably start back over at Pawpaw, where at least I know we have some mm-hmm. visibility. Yeah, and I, I want to hit a couple of places that uh, 
I was reviewing some old side scans that looked like it could be quite interesting to see what's making those objects that I'm yeah. looking at. Well, getting Pop how well you can now. Are any talk about uh, doing any of the sonar treatment again this year? I've not seen anything. I know that the uh, aerators were turned off last year. And if you looked at the aerators, part of the reason, in my opinion, is they were not very uh, effective nor forceful. The ones they used in uh, Indian Lake were looked like underwater volcanoes. Yeah, and that, really that's agitating. Agitating. Yeah, you really have to do something like that if you're going to do what we're talking about. For those who don't know, is you know, Pawpaw Lake, they had uh, treated it for, for the algae and the seaweed, uh, and it's the, the, the process is called a sonar. And Is that the chemical? Is that what well, it's called? It? You're right. That sonar is a chemical, but what they were doing with the bubblers is um, in one part of the lake, uh, Lake uh, Eleni side, Mm-hmm. Pawpaw is a drainage lake, so all the phosphorus, all the fertilizers, all the crap from all the area feeds into the lake. And what it's done over the last hundred years is you've got a bottom that is multiple feet deep that is basically crap. And I don't mean feces. I meant pollutants, heavy mm-hmm. metals, lots of fertilizers. And the aeration was to blow it basically in the air to help get oxygenation to it and help it deteriorate. Um, We dove from sections last year, no, year before last, that were um, quite interesting because at 60 feet, when you're checking out the bottom, you would come up burning and uh, smell like hydrogen sulfide. Yeah. And they have already determined now the only way they're going to get that clean is to dredge it. But... When you talk about dredging that kind of polluted material, you're talking about. Yeah, it's it's expensive, and then you've got to deal with whatever pollutants you take out. You just can't make it better. You've got to. You've now got them, and you got to do something with them. And in addition to that, though, they have now been infested with zebra mussels, and basically they're killing all the. If they're not already all dead, anything on the bottom that comes off the bottom. It's got mussels on it. So we've not found any snails, no clams. I have not seen a crayfish in a long time. So it's really changing the bottom life, which is going to also affect the health of the lake. Yeah. That's too bad. Well, hopefully you're enjoying the program. If you are, if you can leave us a review on whatever website or service that you are enjoying downloading and listening to us on. If you have the means and are enjoying the show, if you could support the show by visiting our Patreon page, you get to that by doing www.scubaobsessed.com, clicking on over the Patreon link, and $3 or more will get you early access to the show notes. Um, so it's uh, certainly appreciated. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash scubaobsessed, on Twitter at scubaobsessed. And also, if you happen to prefer uh, YouTube, uh, well, we don't have any real fancy uh, videos on there, uh, we are adding the audio feed onto YouTube. So, just doing that as an experiment doesn't—it it happens automatically with the script, so it's up there. But yeah, it's just another way to listen if you'd like it. Uh, you got anything you want to plug, Mac? Uh, 
if they were local. (laughs) (laughs) We did the Sportsman Club last week. Uh, We changed from taking old archaic gear, antique dive gear. Uh, We concentrated on bottles this time, and we did a slide presentation. With a, you know, we took all that kind of stuff ourselves, set it up. So we had it on a, a loop of the ecology dive showing people what we get off the bottom. Uh, mm-hmm. We had a lot of people stop by because just didn't look at the bottle, they could look at the flight show. And uh, we had, well, I think there was five of us total there. And of the five, two people won prizes. So it's like, man, that's a, not to mention getting fed, great. So yeah, we had a good time. And uh, I think the people enjoyed having us there. Excellent. Well, I think if you're ready, we're about to that time of the show. I'm ready. I'm yeah. sitting down. Okay, let me uh, open this one up. And I don't think we've done this one before, and it's a it's pretty bad. So you may want to be extra ready for it. Okay. A guy sits down in a restaurant and orders a bowl of chili. The waitress says, sorry, but the uh, guy next to you got the last bowl. He looks over and sees a guy finished his meal and the bowl of chili is still full. He asks, are you going to eat that chili? The other guy says, no, no, help yourself. He slides a bowl of chili over and starts to eat. So when he gets about halfway down, his spoon hits something. He looks down and sees a dead mouse and immediately, immediately pukes all the chili back in the bowl. The other guy says, yeah, that's about as far as I got, too. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, that was bad. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> uh, at least it was warm. Yeah. <laughs> Could be a that's, delicacy in some that's places. That's bad. That is, that is so wrong. So, until next time, go out there and get wet. And don't eat anybody's chili. Other than that, stay safe. Craig is still there. <laughs> we have, that, that didn't even turn Craig's stomach. No. <laughs> That's bad. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that answer. <laughs> oh. <laughs>